Hello and welcome to Humanitarian AI Today, the podcast series produced by the Humanitarian AI Meetup.com groups in Cambridge, San Francisco and New York City. And joining us today, I'm very, very thrilled to be introducing from Herbal in Iraq, Gary Forster. Hi, Gary. He's here from a really amazing organization called Publish What You Fund. Welcome to Humanitarian AI Today, Gary. Over to you. Tell us Thanks. a little bit about yourself and um, your organization. Thank you, Mia. I uh, hope you can hear me okay. Uh, yeah, so I work for Publish What You Fund. Uh, we're the global campaign for aid transparency. Uh, we envisage a world where aid and development information is transparent, available and, and used for effective decision making, public accountability and, and lasting change for all citizens. Uh, I'm here with my colleague, Ruba Ishak from uh, Ground Truth Solutions. Hi. Hi, everyone. So I work at Ground Truth. We're an international NGO, and our mission is really to ensure that people affected by crises have a say in humanitarian action. And we're talking from individual projects to, you know, global humanitarian reform. So that's just a bit about us. Great. And um, tell us about this relationship. So you're over in Erbil in Iraq, and we were talking last week. You were in the UK, Gary. How important is it that you work together in the field and, and work on building what you do? Do you want to talk how that all came about and, and what your goal is? Yeah, sure. No, so so the, the collaboration between Publish What You Fund and Ground Truth Solutions at the moment um, is to undertake this research to look into the information needs and potential barriers uh, regarding information required by local actors uh, taking part in protracted humanitarian crises. So back in 2016, as part of the grand bargain process, a number of uh, global humanitarian actors came together and committed to improve transparency. Now we're three years on, significant gains have been made, but some transparency targets are still lagging, uh, notably supporting the capacity of all organizations, so specifically local organizations involved in accessing and, and publishing data. Mm -hmm. uh, there have also been concerns about the challenges and needs of local actors not being fully taken into account. So we have come to Iraq now. We will be also um, heading to Bangladesh in late September uh, to meet with local organizations to understand the extent to which data is uh, produced, uh, shared, utilized, associated with the humanitarian response, and really trying to feed that information back to make sure that we counter uh, sort of any any challenges that these organizations face. So, so to be specific, the objectives of the research are to increase understanding of the information needs and challenges of humanitarian actors on the ground, in particular local and, and national responders, like I say, uh, to identify existing open data standards, platforms and tools and assess their accessibility and usefulness uh, in relation to meeting the needs and, and addressing those challenges that we've identified and then to identify where possible improvements to those open data standards, platforms and tools to better provide the information needed. So we've, we've, um, we've partnered up with Ground Truth Solutions who have uh, a lot of experience on undertaking this kind of ground level work. Publish What You Fund traditionally has worked more at the global level on standards uh, such as the International Aid Transparency Initiative Standard. But we've partnered up with, uh, with Ruba's team here to talk to these organizations and, and get their perspective. Lovely. And Ruba, what's been your journey? When did you start with um, Ground Truth Solutions? And what are some of the things you've um, encountered in, in building this up and 
sharing this with um, Gary's organization? Is it something that is being embraced? Are you finding it well, what's been positive, what's been challenging for you? Walk us through your journey. I'd love to hear all about it. Sure. So a, a bit of context, because similarly, our organization hadn't worked on a project like this before. Um, Ground Truth was founded in 2012. Um, there seemed to be sort of a missing mechanism for listening to affected people. And so a lot of our work is about looking at sort of the response wide level, as well as helping individual aid organizations be able to sort of collect information using feedback mechanisms. So this intersects in terms of sort of our ability to understand the context on the ground, which is why we sort of picked these two countries we're working in, in Iraq and Bangladesh, where we've done a couple of projects before, and to also then sort of build on that and really dig into the ecosystems that exist, because obviously we're creating data and sharing it and trying to influence processes in terms of two specific things called the humanitarian needs overview and humanitarian response plans. Um, but this this is the next layer of then trying to understand what actors on the ground need. And so that's kind of where we're approaching this from. Okay. So my understanding is you, are you where are you actually based, Ruba? Are you are you coming in from the field yep. or are you working with the field? We're actually based in Vienna and Austria. Um, we embed ourselves a lot in the context we're in though. So uh, the colleague I'm with here, uh, Max, has been here about three times. Um, we very much try to work with local partners on the ground. Um, and it really depends on the context we're in, what kind of work we're doing. So do you mind unpacking that a little bit? The field part would be really fascinating. What have you learned in your, uh, how long have you been working in the field in Iraq and on this particular project that you're there for? Or tell us what you're there to do right now. If Actually, if, yeah, maybe we'll talk about what we're here to do because the other work is, is intersecting but not completely related. So we're here essentially to, to undertake sort of the third phase of this project. So we started the first phase of a lot of desk research, really trying to feel like we understood the context we were in and why we had selected these two case study countries, which offered us different perspectives. But at the same time, we were trying to take lessons learned on a humanitarian response level in Iraq and Bangladesh and see what we can sort of uh, take across to different humanitarian responses. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of scoping calls, a lot of sort of developing our methodology. And then the second phase was about actually starting to collect some data. So we conducted uh, a quantitative survey that we pushed out in Iraq and in Bangladesh, um, trying to really focus on capturing the perspectives of local organizations. So we translated it into Arabic and Kurdish for Iraq, and we translated it into Bangla in Bangladesh, um, and really tried to push it out in different networks, because sometimes you can just be capturing the international NGO perspective. And we really wanted to capture the whole ecosystem. Um, and now we're actually up to the third stage. I and mean, we're about seven months in, Gary, I think. And it's very much about sort of taking that quantitative data and contextualizing it and conducting what we call key informant interviews. We've got about you know, almost 40 lined up here, uh, a lot of conversations and with different groups and trying to understand the different perspectives. And what's the response been to like the, the whole premise of open data standards? How's that being embraced or um, just is, are you finding that something that people are happy to be open and share with you? Um, what were you, what's yeah. happening there? Yeah. I can I can take that, Mia. So so yeah, I think the first thing that strikes you is is the extent of the work that's already been undertaken mm. on the ground, right? So this is uh, clearly an extraordinarily complex 
um, and at scale uh, response that's been going on for a number of years. But you know, you're talking in terms of the people affected um, and those in need. You're talking in the millions. And to see the kind of the data standards that have been developed, the platforms that are being used, um, the, the sheer quantity uh, of information, and then how it's visualized on the many many dashboards that are used in country, uh, it kind of strikes you first of all once you start talking to organisations because you know to to respond effectively to a, a situation like this you're going to need that management information you're going to need to share it so understanding how that information is is produced how it's coordinated understanding how the cluster system works and who takes responsibility for different parts of of the data uh, kind of architecture so you'll have you know the the health clusters the water and sanitation the education the gender-based violence all sort of developing their own standardized assessment um, approaches to collect data um, so so I guess in answer to your question the answer is people people are open and they're ready to, to talk because they've been working on these issues right and then and then the question is whether this data is available to all stakeholders so mm -hmm. our local organizations and we mean sometimes community-based organizations with just a few staff based way out in, in in the rural areas do they have access to this information uh, and, and and are they able to make the decisions that they need to make on where they where they put their resources or or is this information very much kept to select groups there's obviously issues around potentially language barriers in terms of how meetings are held um, there's uh, and then there's issues associated with the kind of do no harm aspect, right? So there's, a lot of this information is extremely sensitive um, for for various reasons. So so there have to be practical discussions about the limits to which um, information can be shared and between which kind of actors and and so on. So our sense is very much that you know th th there's a huge amount of good work has gone on in what is an extremely complex environment it's work that has learned on uh, sorry that it has built on uh, work that's been undertaken in other contexts in terms of developing these reporting standards or developing reporting mechanisms um, and, and for listeners of the podcast who you know are interested in seeing the data and understanding it's you know it's very quick to access information through say the UN OCHA's humanitarian response portal there's there's HDX, the Humanitarian Data Exchange. There's so this, and these are much more about finding data at a local level that partners are sharing on different different issues. There's the studies undertaken by organisations like Reach, who do these kind of multi-cluster uh, needs assessments across uh, on a kind of national level, almost looking across the country. So it's a huge wealth of data and information. Um, and what we're trying to understand is what what are the actors feeling about this? Are they are they is it accessible to them? Are they aware of of where it is? Um, is it quality enough? Does it need further curation? Does it need standardization? And you know, but all the time we're trying to come at this with a, a level of humility, recognizing that you know the the response is well underway. Um, there's great organizations that are part of this and that are grappling with these issues and at the same time it's on an absolutely enormous scale so it's uh, you know we, we're not sort of stumbling across uh, across obvious sort of solutions as it were we're mm. just trying to understand the dynamics of how this how this information is is moving and, and, and just checking that organizations have what they need yeah. to be able to make the decisions uh, that they have to make to ensure that their resources are applied to whichever community or context is 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 mm -hmm. most in need at that point. Right and, and I know it's a case study still and, and I'm curious if you've seen and can share I know it's still very early but something that has come back to you about benefits that really 
um, the communities that you're working with uh, on the ground, are they, are they, is there anything tangible that they can sort of walk away and say, oh, you're here to do this and we can see um, this is happening as a result of, of what you're doing? What's the, um, what's the promise for, for the communities that you're... Yeah, so I'll, I'll take this. I'll let Ruba talk afterwards if it's appropriate about sort of community feedback mechanisms and how that kind of um, sense can be, can be drawn from those communities. I think the reality is that, that the kind of stories we've heard about where better information sharing could benefit, be of benefit to the response would kind of fix things behind the scenes so that yeah. so the the communities um that these organizations are trying whether they're un organizations international or national ngos are trying to help they the improvement in kind of efficiency and reducing duplication of effort and making sure you're focusing your resources on where the need is most um i don't think that would be kind of obvious to those communities that are benefiting from, from the response um it would only maybe be obvious when you stand back and look at the the, the scale of the response and, and the way that resources were able to cover perhaps a larger area. So we have heard, you know, examples of where there was potentially duplication of programming because organizations weren't aware that each other were working in very similar areas on very similar issues. And But I, I'll hasten to add, these are these are relatively rare examples considering the scale of, of what's happening here in the, in the the sheer number of people that are, are having their services met through the through the kind of the international and the and the local response, but um, yeah, this is kind of you know the grand bargain was all about trying to identify uh, further efficiencies within the humanitarian system to essentially make the the funding that is available every year go that bit further. And and when you're talking about potentially billions of dollars that can be saved through these greater efficiencies, that could benefit thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in a, in a context like Iraq. So it's some of that kind of behind the scenes efficiency systems process stuff that, that we're trying to focus on, but also the, the reality that, you know, local organizations and those smallest organizations are often the first responders in these kind of contexts. And, and it's only right that we work with those organizations, we fully incorporate them into the response formally because they will have already been um, sort of responding themselves. and and work with them as, as true partners, building capacity on both sides of the relationship so that in the longer run, the, this expertise remains here. And, and we have been, you know, impressed continually while we've been here, uh, mm. the, the passion and the, and the capacity of these local organizations to, um, to, to grapple with the data, try and make the best of it and respond accordingly. So I, I don't know if Ruben wanted to say anything about positive. Yes. I was going to um, ask if you had anything to add and share and, and talk about in terms of, of your perspective and experience yeah we'd love to hear your view i think gary covered it a lot i guess the one additional point to add which gary was touching on at the end is capacity development is often a conversation that is very much intertwined with with data with information management um we can't take for granted that this requires particular skills and and you know it, it needs to be invested in and that's what the conversation has been about it's you know, who, who in your organization is doing this? What do they know? How do they learn? How do they share information with their partners and with clusters? So the capacity development side of this is, is a very interesting one that we're trying to delve into and, 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 and understand better because it's happening and, and how can it continue to improve is, is what we're really trying to understand. I remember you were talking about um, $2.4 trillion aid funded 
money and now it's important not to duplicate but kind of curious about budgets and how does anyone go about um, dipping into that kind of resource and helping out yeah so i should say that the 2.4 trillion uh, is the total value of all activities uh, when we last checked um, published to the international aid transparency initiative uh, open data standard right. uh, so that's the art registry so that's a, a record of international donors um, so you know the big the big bilateral donors such as USAID and, and DFID um, as well as development finance institutions and multilateral development banks and so on over the last 50 years or so, um, if you add up all of their, their data and their projects, um, you, you calculate that it's, it's approximately that much worth of spend has been, been recorded. Um, but yeah, the aid budget every year is approximately um, $150 billion, depending on how you how you measure it. Um, and I think we all understand, and, and the, the forebears of the, the grand bargain process, understand that that money has to be spent as efficiently as possible to make it go as far as possible, because yeah. the need globally far outstrips the resources available. So, so I think when it comes to transparency and whether that's in terms of the kind of work that Publish What You Fund does on a, on a daily basis, keeping global funders uh, sort of making sure that they share their information in a, in a kind of usable, comprehensive, timely fashion, or whether it's organizations like Ground Truth getting down to the grassroots and understanding what the perspectives of, of these communities are on the aid they're receiving um, and doing it from that end of the spectrum. Um, I think that transparency and, and, and efficiency is, is kind of top of everyone's agenda in this space. We recognize the funds are limited. Um, we recognize that the need is is extensive. So, so a big part of, um, of making the money go as far as possible is ensuring transparency and accountability of all actors throughout. Yeah, that's, no, it's important not to squander absolutely um, uh, such a resource and, and then to match it up um, effectively and streamline those processes. Um, it sounds like you've got a lot of work um, and um, a lot of benefits for, for, for humanity. So talking about humanitarian AI, what's both of your point of view? What What is it to you? Um, do you want to start off um, what that means to you, maybe, Ruba? Can we have um, what sure. humanitarian AI to you, and and how does it, how can it help? Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I come from the transparency and accountability space, mm -hmm. and and for the last couple of years, AI has been sort of the buzzword. For me, it's about taking a step back and really looking at the data that will feed into. AI. Um, and that's really the focus of this project. How, what data is there? How can it be used most effectively and efficiently to make informed decisions on humanitarian responses? So I try not to focus on the AI thing because I think there's so much work that still needs to be done on the infrastructure and building trust in the systems and the data that exists. Um, so we're kind of entering this from a here's the data and here's what, what's there and here's how it can sort of improve and how it links to coordination. And then the AI space is listening to this podcast, obviously. So we'd we'd love to hear what what they have to say about what this data can be used for and how it can be used for for effective programming in the humanitarian space. Yeah, I I concur. You know, there's we're not the the humanitarian AI experts here, but the the space that we both work in. So from publish what you funds perspective, looking at these kind of global data sets of 
um, tens of billions and hundreds of billions of dollars worth of aid spend and not just the financial information but there's uh, you know if you look at the International Aid Transparency Initiative the amount of sort of strategy documents the amount of uh, results data from projects mm. uh, from projects that have been implemented that is there is, is vast likewise with the kind of data that comes out of the kind of projects that ground truth does you know there's so there's there's this wealth of data there's a whole mixture of, of open data standards there are portals there are um, there are uh, there's data that needs to be kind of validated uh, there's there's data that needs to be visualized we've got I, I mentioned previously the humanitarian data exchange there's um, there's open standards like Hexel, there's systems that are being increasingly used such as Activity Info um, to record information and share information between partners, there's OCHA's uh, financial tracking service. So there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of different um, areas where humanitarian AI experts could start looking at the data, start looking at how people are using it and see where um, AI might be able to help and whether that's AI sort of in capital letters or whether that's sort of more basic machine learning techniques. I mean we've definitely mm. talked in the past about how maybe to take some of the human error elements out or catch some of the human errors in, in some of this data but then also there's potentially the predictive value of, of AI, right? I mean these, yeah. these um, the uh, disasters are not all the same, the context is absolutely important. Um, but is there any potential there to look at the kind of data, look at the kind of um, detail we have on, on how responses are undertaken and improve uh, the efficiency of those with some kind of predictive power? Now, obviously we have to be extremely careful, you know, these decisions would uh, ultimately, if, if a decision was based on AI, we'd need to understand and have full transparency on, on how that decision came about these you know those decisions could absolutely affect the lives of human beings whose worth is precisely equal value to, to yours and, and ours um, so we would have to be very careful about about the role that AI could play when this data often pertains to individual individuals communities health services and and, and, and sensitive issues as well but it feels to us like there's a there's a bridge to be built between organizations like ours Mm -hmm. and those experts that listen to your podcast who who truly understand the potential of humanitarian AI. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, it's it's the data and the what you're bringing in um, and then how all the hum all the humanitarian AI community can, you know, put their fresh look into it and possibly play with it and and maybe maybe um, advise on it. Yeah, that sounds super super interesting. So Going to something I think you mentioned, your upcoming um, webinar and local uh, research, what is, um, can you give us a bit of a hint of, of your upcoming webinar? Do you want to maybe talk about that at this stage since it's uh, yeah. just corner? That would be great. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you, Mia. So on Monday, the 9th of September, at 10 to, from 10 to 11 uh, British Standard Time and 4 to 5 p.m. British Standard Time, we have uh, mm -hmm. a webinar which we'll be uh, sort of jointly presenting. We've got details on our website and, and we, hopefully we can share them with the, the podcast. So we'll be giving a more detailed introduction than, than we have here to the to the process we've undergone, um, the kind of uh, a bit of an insight into some of the things we learned in the, in the initial sort of calls and, and desk-based research a bit of a look into what we found out on the survey. So this was the survey Ruben mentioned, uh, more than 200 responses from across Iraq and, and Bangladesh, predominantly from uh, local organizations. Um, and then we can talk a little bit about some of the things we've seen um, here in, in Iraq, but not wanting, we'll still be doing analysis at that phase. So I'll just caveat by saying we won't be going into sort of full final report stuff because we'll, we'll still be working on that. But we'd love people to join. Um, we'll hopefully have a bit of time at the end for, for some questions. 
and it'd be great to have people from a different sphere because that always seems to to raise the best questions absolutely and are you involved in this um ruba um or is this a separate something that you're no, I'll be there. Um, as part of the team, we have two other colleagues, Henry and Max. Uh, they'll also be joining the webinar, and we're just looking for an, a really open conversation and, and hearing feedback from, from all groups. We have two sessions to try and capture all of the world, essentially. Um, so we're looking forward to sort of digging into some initial themes and really just brainstorming with everyone. Yeah, the capacity is just it's all encompassing and when when you're there in the field is um, another question just changing it back to back to where you are and empowering aid recipients and and people who are really interested in, in working in this space what what are some of the steps involved there you you keep talking about the grand bargain what what can people um do to to connect with you to to you know meet you and and say, hey, we're here and we'd like to help. What's something you, you need um, from, from the um, humanitarian AI meetup group? Yes, yeah, so, so I probably should say that our, our field work is perhaps not as exotic as it might sound. While Erbil <laughs> is a, a fantastic place and we've been welcomed with extraordinary hospitality, we, um, by nature of the project, we're very much sitting in the head offices of local organisations, uh, trying to really understand from their perspective um, uh, what's, what's happening. And they are the ones with the skills um, and the local knowledge and the relationships to, to go out into the communities and into the camps and actually deliver the services that are, that are so badly needed. So we're kind of one, one step removed there. But, but, it's, um, but, but we've been welcomed. Local organisations completely recognise the importance of what we're trying to do. They're, they're delighted that something as global as, as the grand bargain um, process is, is seeking this input from kind of the grassroots level and from those organisations at the front line. Um, in terms of what uh, organizations listening or individuals listening to this podcast can do I mean like I say there's there's a huge amount of data out there across some of the platforms I've mentioned some are at a national level um, some are at a local level you know considerable considerable amounts of information um, and different standards different approaches uh, to making decisions and and, and and some of these are at a global level as well. So I guess we would encourage organizations to, to start having a look at that right and and seeing what kind of where is the middle ground between organizations like Grand Truth and Publish What You Fund uh, encouraging and facilitating and, and trying to make more information available and more accurate, timely, comprehensive information available for better decision making and the limitations of current AI machine learning technologies? Mm. Because we, you know, that's where we kind of. Uh, run out of uh, out of thinking. That's where we're not so much the expertise. And we know that there are you know initiatives going on within the humanitarian space. We haven't sort of directly engaged with any yet. Uh, yet. Um, but it's very much trying to get individuals and organisations to look into this. And look, there's some really smart people on this side as well. Work who've been working on transparency and accountability. Have been working on these standards. So I don't think there's any kind of quick fixes, but it would be great no. to have a come together and actually say, well, what what is the potential here? We've got we've got needs, um, and we've got data, and we've got data. So so where's the where's the solution? Right, it's stitching it all up, and um, yeah, getting good um, good analysis and and then connecting it all up. I kind of um, so what have you been optimistic about in this in this whole sphere both of you what's something you've both been optimistic about um i'd love to hear an individual sort of example that that just not wowed you but made you smile 
I don't think there's a specific example, but I think, you know, sitting not in a humanitarian uh, response, you wonder about how data is coordinated and what are the structures and um, having seen all of these different tools and how they're being used and, you know, sitting down and having an interview and someone showing you their screen and saying, this is where I input data and this is where I extract data. I think that's been really fascinating um, because you, you can't visualize it until you really see someone sitting in this office um, in Airbill kind of doing the work that they're here to do. So I'd say, yeah, the quantity of data and the quality of data, it's there. Obviously, there are improvements, but it's been it's been a bit of an eye-opener to see how much work is already being done and how much it's a focus and how much it intersects with a lot of the different work streams that are being discussed, whether it's uh, localization or needs assessments. It's, it's, a, it's a live discussion that everyone's very aware of and everyone wants to work towards addressing, not just in Iraq, but to take this lesson and apply it into different contexts. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned earlier, Mia, the need to spend this money as sort of efficiently as possible and to make it go, you know, onto projects that make a real difference. And uh, I think, if anything, I've been struck by just the sheer rigor and the, and the evidence base that, that organizations use in an environment where you're under pressure to respond, right? And in an environment where there's huge need, immediate need, and, and, and vast populations that need to be provided with everything from public health to education to, to clean water uh, to, you know, to rebuilding their cities. The, the level of sort of intellectual rigor and, and, and evidence that organizations across the spectrum, so the big international household names that you would know that, that are here down to the smallest community organizations are, are putting in, I think would give an, enorm an enormous amount of faith to sort of observers who maybe don't interact with the humanitarian world so mm -hmm. much. That the decisions are being made on extremely good information. Um, it's not always perfect. It's not always shared as widely as everyone would hope it would be. Sometimes there's really solid reasons for that, and sometimes there's 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 areas we can improve. But I think if anything, we've all come away quite impressed with 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 how with how data uh, and evidence is is used to make sure that that these funds go as as far as they possibly can and help as many sort of men, women, and children uh, as possible. Well, that sounds really positive. Well done and thank you um, for joining us today. Is there anything either of you would like to share um, before we, we wrap things up today? I know you've probably got a lot to do or it's, it's late where you are. What, what time is it? It's um, 9.45 here in San Francisco. What time is it in Erbil for you? It's almost 8 p.m. Um, oh. But no, it's been great. Thank you so much for taking the time to, ch to chat with us and, and we just love to invite people to come to the webinar and to have an open conversation and uh, we'll be signing in from London and Vienna. Lovely. How would one do that? Is, it, is that information available? How, how can we join your webinar? Yeah, so the information's on our website and we should post a link along with the podcast as well. So we're at www.publishwhatyoufund.org um, and we've posted it on our Twitter feed and, yeah. and Facebook as well to try and attract uh, sort of uh, a broadest range of possible of uh, communities. Lovely. Well, Gary, is that anything Anything else you want to add before we, we say our goodbyes for now? Um, I think I think we should... No, no. Hopefully that was a good mixture of kind of expressing the potential that we think there is. I, I think 
for a whole bunch of reasons, people who don't interact with this space regularly will not be aware of the sheer volume of data that there is. Um, you know, one of the platforms I didn't mention is the, is the, the DTM uh, system here that's run by the International Organization for, um, for Migration. So this is their displacement tracking matrix, which is one of the most commonly referenced mm -hmm. sources of information here in Iraq. And the sheer rigor that goes into compiling the data and validating it, um, it means that it's a it's an authoritative source and I just think for organ for, for individuals data scientists and beyond who, who don't interact with this space um, hopefully this has been an opportunity for us to articulate why why it's important that all organizations have access to this information but also the um, the extent or the progress that's already been made Okay, wow, that's great. Well, thank you um, very much, both um, Gary and Ruba, for, for everything, your insights, and this very authentic and very, very interesting and, and, and informative discussion today that brings this edition of Humanitarian AI Today to a close. Bye from Mia, and thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.